thank you for listening to Trekker Talk, a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker Comics by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. This is a fan podcast. We're not affiliated with Ron Randall, and the opinions expressed are just ours. We do this podcast because we really enjoy reading and talking about Trekker and Ron Randall's other comics. Please consider visiting trekkercomic.com. That's Ron Randall's official site dedicated to Mercy St. Clair. It features a new page of Trekker material every Monday, where the Chapeltown storyline is currently in progress. You will find links to all of the ways to follow Ron Randall on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. TrekkerComic.com has a link to his Patreon page where you can donate to help support the creation of brand new Trekker material if you want. Also at the Trekker Comic website, you'll often find interesting posts on Thursdays. That's where Ron Randall occasionally shares key inspirations and insights into how he creates comics, as well as the latest news about Mercy St. Clair. A recent post was about the conventions he is currently planning to attend this year, including Calgary Comic Expo in April, Denver Comic Con in June, and Rose City Comic Con in September. And the very weekend we're recording this, he is at Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle, and we've already seen him post photos of a couple of commissions, including Supergirl, Catwoman, and an amazing Black Canary. If you're attending any of these cons, be sure to stop by his table. He is a kind man who is always happy to talk to his fans. I love his selection of prints, and his con sketches are simply amazing. During this podcast, we'll sometimes refer to page numbers related to the story, especially when we're taking a closer look at the art. Trekker has been published in many formats over the years, but for our reference, we use the page numbers from the Trekker Omnibus. This collection was published in 2013. It includes all of the Trekker material up to that point in time. It's available in a printed trade paperback, or you can get a digital copy from Comixology or the Dark Horse Comics app, as well as from the Amazon Kindle store. And if you do own the books on a digital platform, please consider taking a moment to rate the books. By doing so, you just might help encourage new readers to give the series a try. In this episode, we're covering the story Thicker Than Blood, which was featured in Dark Horse Presents in 1990. And later in the episode, we'll share some of the great comments and feedback we received since last time. We think the show is more fun for everyone when we hear from you. We really enjoy sharing your comments, so please write in and let us know what you think. What do you like best about the world of Trekker? Who are your favorite characters? What is your favorite cover? And of course, please feel free to point out anything we missed. You're welcome to share your opinion on any aspect of the books. So stop by trekkertalk.com for links to all of our social media connections, or send us an email at trekkertalk at gmail.com, and we'll include your comments in a future episode. Thicker Than Blood is a 24-page story that was divided into three parts. It was featured in issues 39, 40, and 41 of Dark Horse Presents from May and June 1990. The story appears in the Trekker Omnibus from pages 263 to 288. The story is written and illustrated by Ron Randall. Letters are by Steve Haney and David Jackson. The cover is by Ron Randall with Chris Chalinor. The cover features Mercy balanced on one of many beams in what looks like a giant factory. Her gun is drawn and she is staring into the distance. In the shadows in the background, a man has a rifle aimed right at her. Our story opens on a dark and rainy night in an abandoned power plant in New Gellif. A man is scaling the beams of the building, looking for shelter from the rain and a place to lay low. As he pulls himself up onto a dry platform, he finds Trekker Mercy St. Clair waiting patiently for him with her gun drawn. Evening, Cleary, she says. He tries to talk his way out of the situation and inches over to a beam suspended by a cable. 
Mercy suddenly realizes she's in danger, but can't move out of the way fast enough before the beam hits her and knocks her off the ledge. Gleary assumes she has fallen to the ground, but then sees she's managed to catch hold of another beam. He tells her he thought she was tougher than this and criticizes her for not having a killer instinct. She replies by shooting his arm and leaping from the beam back onto the platform. She easily dodges the knife he pulls on her and then she throws him to the ground. Later at the police station, Mercy's uncle Alex overhears Gleary accuse Mercy of freezing and tells her she is a death wish. Alex invites Mercy into his office. He offers to loan her some money, thinking that she must be low on cash, since this is the first bounty she's collected since returning to the city. She declines, saying everything is fine. Alex then asks about what he heard Gleary say about her freezing, and he can immediately tell by the change in her expression that it's true. He tells her it's too dangerous for her to lose her edge, and she angrily replies that she knows what she's doing. Next, we see Lasmusi hiding in the shadows from some of Gatefish Strauss' hired guns, and he knows they've figured out that he helped Mercy with the Rikovicki bust. Lasmusi is cornered in an alley. As more men come at him from different directions, they begin asking him about a trekker named St. Clair. The powerful Lasmusi slams one man into a wall, but another man hits him with the barrel of a gun, and Lasmusi tumbles over a railing and falls into a canal filled with sludge. Mercy is having dinner at Molly's apartment. She confesses to Molly that Alex is right that she is both low on funds and has lost her edge. As Mercy is walking home, a group of Gatefish's thugs ambush her. She suddenly finds the tendrils of a whip wrapped around her torso, pulling her to the ground, but she swiftly headbutts the man in front of her in the ribs. She then flips head over heels, pulling her legs down and freeing them from the whip. Her fists fly up and she knocks another man to the ground. Just then, there's another crack, and the whip wraps around her ankles, causing her to tumble back to the ground. But suddenly, Lasmusi appears, covered in stinking sludge. He grabs the one with the whip. Then Mercy pulls her gun and fires a single shot as the other gang members turn and run quickly away. Lasmusi and Mercy agree to meet the next day to regroup and coordinate plans. As Lasmusi leaves, Mercy wonders how he was able to survive the toxic sludge and suspects that the rumors she's heard about him being part mutant must be true. At home, Mercy finds that acid has been used to unlock the door to her apartment. Inside, she finds Scuff amid her ransacked belongings and wonders what Gatefish's men were looking for. Whatever it was, she knows they didn't find it because she knows she doesn't have anything. Mercy arms herself and sits down to wait out the hour before she's supposed to meet back up with Lamuzi, but unfortunately, she nods off. She is rudely awakened when Gatefish and his henchmen burst through the door holding Lasmusi as a hostage. Gatefish brings a meta-chair into her apartment and reveals his ailing 13-year-old daughter, Christina. Rikaviki wanted more than Gatefish was paying him, so he came up with a plan. He poisoned Gatefish's daughter, and the two were preparing a swap that would include a ransom payment in exchange for the antidote to the poison. However, Mercy captured Rikaviki when he was on his way to deliver the antidote, so now the only thing keeping Gatefish's young daughter alive is the meta-chair. Gatefish and his men have learned that the antidote was hidden in a secret compartment in the customized frat gun that Rikaviki owned, but their police contacts tell them that the gun was not turned in with Rikaviki, so they assume that Mercy kept it. Mercy insists she turned it in, and Gatefish is inclined to believe her since his men didn't find it in her apartment. However, she isn't off the hook. Gatefish still holds her responsible and insists she finds the antidote. Mercy stares at the comatose figure of the young girl in the meta-chair and knows what she has to do. Mercy stops by the police station to find out why Rikavicki's customized frat gun is missing. Mercy pressures the officer in charge of impounded weapons to explain, 
reminding him that her uncle is in charge of the precinct, and he finally admits he sold the gun to a collector. Later, Mercy finds herself uptown in a very upscale and very unfamiliar part of New Gallif. As she approaches the door of the collector, she hears gunshots. Mercy quickly kicks down the door and sees the collector laying dead on the floor with multiple bullet wounds in his torso. In the background, she sees a figure climbing out of a broken window. She suspects it's one of Gatefish's men that has been following her, who has decided to grab the antidote after realizing where she is headed. She fires her reeler out the window and swings to the next rooftop in pursuit, where she is surprised to find she is chasing Rikovicki. He pivots around, and we see the huge customized frack gun as he rapidly fires shots in Mercy's direction. She leaps for cover, staying just out of range and waiting for Rikovicki to run out of ammunition. Once the frack gun is empty, she begins to move closer. Just then, Rikovicki pulls out another gun, but he is no match for her speed as Mercy shoots him in the shoulder, causing him to drop the second gun. Rikovicki tells Mercy that it was Gatefish who had him bailed out, probably with a plan to have him killed. He knew his only hope was to get to his gun and the antidote first, so he followed her. Mercy contacts Gatefish, who quickly arrives on the rooftop along with his henchman and his daughter in her meta-chair. They open the hidden compartment of the customized frack gun and find that the syringe inside is empty. Rikovicki explains that he has injected the antidote into himself so that Gatefish can't kill him without losing the antidote. He can extract the antidote, but he wants something in exchange. He orders Gatefish to jump from the ledge of the roof and promises to cure his daughter in exchange. He will take control of Gatefish's territory in exchange for saving his daughter's life. Gatefish goes into a rage and punches Rikovicki and then orders his men to kill him. Mercy acts quickly. She lunges forward, tackles Rikovicki, and the two of them fly off the roof. As they fall, she shoots a reeler and swings them back up to the rooftop. Gatefish looks stunned. He has realized that his reaction meant he put his own life above his daughter's life. He has lost all honor. His shoulders slumped, he turns and departs with his henchman, leaving behind his daughter Christina in her meta-chair. Back at Mercy's apartment, she fills Molly in on the day. She is feeling better about herself. She knows that she did a good job, and even more, she knows that she did the right thing. Molly suggests that she had a good reason to do well. The stakes were high, and she needed to save an innocent girl's life. And that says a lot about who Mercy is as a person. And with this issue, Trekker comes full circle back to a story about Gatefish, who we met in the very first issue and who has been hinted at in other stories. This story feels like it could have been an ending, even with the conversation between Mercy and Molly on the last page having the feeling of a closing chapter. And for a while, this sadly was the end. We got quite a few Trekker stories in a compact four-year period between 1987 and 1990. But after this, it would be six years before the next Trekker story. But thankfully, those of you reading Trekker now for the first time won't have to wait that long. But now let's do a quick page flip through the story. There was great atmosphere in the opening pages. I love the look of the dark and stormy night. Such a great setting. Next, we are at the police station on page 268. And I want to point out page 269, which is the conversation between Mercy and Uncle Alex. Ron Randall always does effective conversation pages. This could be a bland, boring page in some comics with just a couple of talking heads. But Ron Randall uses a variety of panel layouts, mixes close-ups and distant shots, and uses shadows and light to make these types of pages stand out. Really very nice. And as we flip over to page 270, which features two distinct counterpoints with Lasmusi hiding in the shadows at the top of the page, while we see Mercy and Molly in her brightly lit apartment at the bottom of the page. Then there's lots of action on the next few pages with Lasmusi falling into the sludge on page 272, 
followed by Mercy being ambushed on pages 273 to 275. There's lots of great variety to the various fights that move these pages along quickly. Mercy arrives back home on page 276, and then Gatefish and his men break in on page 278, and we see his very sickly-looking daughter Christina in her Medichair for the first time on page 279. Mercy confronts the police officer in charge of impounding weapons on page 281, and there's a gorgeous close-up of her at the bottom of the page. Really nice. On the very next page, I really like the scene of Mercy kicking in the door to the collector's apartment. Another of the many examples of how Ron Randall can capture body movement perfectly because it really looks like she's flying through the air and impacting that heavy door. And then page 283 is a favorite with Mercy firing her reeler and then swinging across to capture Rickovicki. And there's another great scene showing off how Ron Randall can capture body movement on the bottom of page 284 when she shoots him in the shoulder. In the pages that follow, we see just how bad Gatefish is when his rage causes him to completely forget about his daughter. And we get an action-packed page 287, and Mercy and Rikiviki fly over the edge of the building and then swing back up using her reeler. This was another really great issue. Okay, so let's talk next about our favorite pages and panels. So Ruth, what were your favorite pages? Okay, I have a selection here. Let's start with page 277. Okay, I'm turning... I'm there. It starts with Mercy whamming the door to her apartment open and ready to shoot. I like the smile of relief on Mercy's face when she realizes that the only creature around is Scuff, on top of a table. As usual, the shadows and lights are used very well here. I like the details showing how her place is a mess from the search, and of course the panels of Scuff sleeping in Mercy's arm are sweet. Yes, they are. Now go to 284. Okay. I love the way Mercy dives into the page on the very first panel. She jumps onto the rooftop following Rikaviki, and her cape looks great in three different places on this page. It's flowing behind her as she jumps, when she pulls her gun on him, and then again in the very wonderful moment when she shoots. I really like the use of the cape on this page. And also really appreciate how the gunfire is whizzing by and blasts everything. There's great sound effects and the sequences here are really exciting. I agree. So for my favorite page, I will call page 287 my favorite. Okay. It begins with that tackle of Rikiviki over the edge and the dramatic fall. I love the pop of the reeler as it shoots out in that small panel in the very middle of the page. And that scary swing they take to get back to the rooftop is impressive. The motion on these figures is remarkable. And we were just talking earlier about the amazing motions of the figures. I agree. Definitely. Okay, let's move on with my favorite pages. My third favorite page is page 270, near the beginning of the story. I really like this page because of the contrast of light and dark and the mood. This is the page where at the top, Lasmusi's hiding in the shadows, keeping an eye on Gatefish's goons, while at the bottom of the page, we have this brightly lit scene of Mercy and Molly chatting after dinner. Two very nice counterpoints. I like it. And then for my second favorite page, we'll turn over to page 277. And you mentioned this page yourself. Yes. So this one is a favorite of mine for an odd reason, but it's similar to something that you mentioned. This is the page where Mercy comes home to find her apartment has been ransacked. And what I really like about it are all the different views of scuff that give the page a very unique feel. Uh, This is a scene that would be very distressing, and I can imagine what Mercy must be thinking. But throughout the page, we see little scenes of scuff uh, up on the table in the midst of all the mess, followed by him relaxing and watching Mercy as she's reloading her weapons, 
followed by a scene of both of them falling asleep. And then you get Scuff's little yip being the trigger that wakes Mercy up just as Gatefish and his men arrive. Wow. I appreciate your take on this page because, as we just heard, it was a favorite of mine too. But I see all of the places with Scuff that you're pointing out. So that's nice to revisit. Yeah, when I was looking at this page, it's almost like it's told through the eyes of Scuff. And for my favorite page, we have to turn to page 287, which should sound like a very familiar page to you. Okay, I know that number. (laughs) So just like you, this is my favorite page. Uh, This is where Mercy saves Rikaviki by jumping from the roof with him. They start to fall head first. She fires a reeler, and then they swing back up to the rooftop. It's just such a fluid page. You get the feel of all of that movement across all the different panels. Easily just my favorite page. Very good choice. Okay, and let's talk next about favorite panels. Okay, head over to page 271. We're going back and forth a lot. I know. But once you get there, you may not be surprised that I really enjoy the top left panel. It's a distant shot of Mercy on Molly's balcony. Mercy's figure is a silhouette. You get a view of some of the surrounding buildings, and for the sci-fi fan in me, we get to see several skimmers flying by. Nice. Now, for the bottom right on page 276. Okay, there. It's a cropped close-up of Mercy's face as she's trying to listen and look closely through the cracked door to her apartment. You can see the tension on her face. She hears a suspicious sound inside, which of course turns out to be scuff. I'm really glad you picked out that panel. I didn't choose that one, but I absolutely love it. It's a really extreme close-up, but really beautifully done. Now for my very favorite panel in this issue, go to page 266. Okay, I'm there. And it takes up about half of the space on the bottom right corner of this page. It's a moment after Mercy is hit by the beam and she tumbles backwards. The figure drawing is excellent and the lighting is perfect. Very dramatic with the rain in the background and the three-dimensional look of the beam. Okay, so for my third favorite panel, we don't have to turn the page at all because it's exactly the same panel that was your winning panel. So I didn't put it first. It's not a flattering panel for Mercy at all, but it's really exciting. And like you pointed out, looks very three-dimensional, the way the beam and Mercy both just seem to come flying off the page. Then for my second favorite, we have to turn all the way to page 284. I have it. Well, you turned there faster than I did. (laughs) Okay, I'm finally there on page 284. So it's the bottom right panel, and I remember you mentioned this, I think, when you were talking about your favorite page, or one of your favorite pages, this was it. So this is the scene where Mercy shoots Rikaviki in the shoulder when he's trying to pull out the other gun on her, and I'm just always impressed with the way Ron Randall captures movement, and here we see Mercy leaning back to the side, almost off balance, still able to fire her gun accurately, and I love the way her left hand uh, is holding her second gun, and it reaches up into the panel above. Really nice. And my favorite panel is very easy to find because it's just one page earlier on page 283. It's the top center panel. I love that view of Mercy climbing out of the window of the collector's apartment and she's firing her reeler. It's a great pose. I love the way her cape is flowing in the wind and I love the expression on her face. It's a classic Mercy pose. Very nice choice. It's time for Who's Who, when we talk about significant characters from the stories and we get to know them a little better. We don't look ahead because we don't want to spoil the stories for anyone reading them for the first time. That means we'll revisit characters over time as we learn more things about them. 
Mercy St. Clair is a bounty hunter known as a trekker. She lives in Antari Alley, which is a bad part of New Gallif. She spends most of her money on weapons for her job and food for her pet scuff, which is a dox, which is a cross between a dog and a fox. Alex St. Clair is Mercy's uncle and a lieutenant in the police force. The police and trekkers don't generally like each other, but these two definitely care for each other and sometimes collaborate on cases. Molly Sundowner is a local shopkeeper and Mercy's best friend. She takes care of Scuff when Mercy is away and is generous to a fault. Laz Moosey is an underworld figure, and while he and Mercy certainly aren't on the same side, they have a grudging respect for each other. And here we see that they're both in a lot of trouble because of an earlier case where they collaborated with each other. Gatefish Strauss is an underworld crime boss in New Guelph who has politicians and police officers on his payroll. Mercy captured him in the very first Trekker story, but he was quickly released thanks to his many connections. Rikovicki is a trigger hitman who used to work for Gatefish. We met him back in the story Rules of the Game when Mercy worked with fellow Trekker Roger Vincent to capture him. Next up is Trekker Transmissions, where we share the listener feedback we've received since last time. We sincerely appreciate every message we receive and truly believe they add immeasurably to the show, so a big thank you to everyone who took the time to write in. We share occasional panels of Trekker comics on our social media sites from time to time, and a recent post included Lovelorn Professor Tom Richards. Brian Mulvey noticed that post and posted back that Tom and Mercy should meet on the ledge down where the drunkards roll which is the name of a song by Richard Thompson. And of course, it is thanks to Brian that we know the character of Tom Richards is an homage to singer Richard Thompson. We exchanged several tweet messages with Dave Cote. He is looking forward to meeting Ron Randall at Calgary Expo and has been getting his comics ready for signatures and is hoping to get a commission from Ron Randall. Good luck, Dave. Pablo Ventura shared a photo of a work in progress of a gorgeous figure of Mercy St. Clair created by the, quote, awesome and legendary Ron Randall. Pablo is a terrific artist and a good friend of the podcast, and I love his Trekker discovery story. It was one of the very first comics he ever read, and once he did, he found himself on the path to becoming a comic artist, so I can hardly wait to see the finished work of art by Pablo. Mark Sweeney of the I'm the Gun blog and podcast was reading through his collection of Airboy comics by Chuck Dixon when he came across an issue illustrated by Ron Randall and thought to tweet the cover to us, and appropriately it was on a Thursday, perfect for a throwback Thursday. And of course, those of you who are interested, Ron Randall worked on several issues of that Airboy series. We want to thank everyone for the enthusiastic comments from listeners about last episode when we covered the Justice League Spectacular. Dr. G let us know that he downloaded the new episode as soon as it was available and couldn't wait to listen. Jeff Messer tweeted out, great new episode to his followers. Thanks, Jeff. And we wanted to mention Jeff has added three-minute news updates to his fun GeekBrain podcast. Each features fast-paced highlights on a topic such as movies, TV, and comics. It's a great way to catch up on the latest entertainment news. Tim Wallace of Cord Industries shared this clever post. The League disbands? Blue Beetle and Ice watch the Brady Bunch? Darren and Ruth talk about the Justice League? Yep, it's the Justice League Spectacular with art by Ron Randall. Give it a listen. Thank you, Tim. And we know Tim has to be super excited about the upcoming Blue Beetle comic series that is part of DC's Rebirth. We'll be trying the series along with him as well. Mark Sweeney said, I just began a reread of this stuff. Some very fine stories. I love Ron Randall's Crimson Fox. See ballet. I enjoyed your take on Justice League Spectacular, Mark said. I've coincidentally just reread this in preparation for an upcoming post on my blog. My opinion of this issue has changed over the years. I wasn't as enamored with the story this time around, thinking some of the dialogue was cheesy and the plot was a little weak. But if anything, I've really grown to appreciate Ron Randall's art more and more. 
I was always a little annoyed with his yellow-permed Aquaman look, so different from the character appearing at the same time in his own series. But I've mellowed on that particular issue over time, and have really grown to enjoy Ron's take on the characters. His elongated man is a favorite of mine. I love the way Ralph's gloves and boots bunch up around the forearm and calf. I noticed this time around in The Spectacular that inks in places throughout didn't reproduce too well, but only on the Randall and Elliot pages, and that took a little away from Ron's art. But he and Randy Elliott proved to be a dynamic team in the succeeding issues of Justice League Europe, and I look forward to your takes on those stories. By the way, I got a great deal on the Trekker Omnibus, so now I feel prepared to follow along with your podcast. We appreciate Mark taking the time to share his thoughts and insights, and thanks for joining along to read Trekker with us as well. Joe Crawford said, great cover, great show. I ordered a copy of the Justice League Spectacular today. I always think of Bart Sears when I think of JLE, so it was cool to see a different take on the team. And he remembered that he already owns issue 38 of JLE, which is from the time when Ron Randall was the primary artist from issues 37 to 50. Stephen Derrick said, this is one of my favorite errors of Justice League history, and some of the stories were underrated. Karen Williams of Between the Pages said, another great episode. I didn't know that Ron Randall did a run on the Justice League book. I hope these are added to Comixology. Well, sadly, only the Justice League Spectacular is currently on Comixology. Like Karen, we're hoping the other issues of Justice League Europe and Justice League International that Ron Randall worked on will be on Comixology soon. Karen went on to say, I enjoyed your review of Sword of Destiny. It is strange, but while I love martial arts, I'm not a fan of martial arts movies. Karen added, I'm not a Wolverine fan, but I'd read Wolverine by Kurt Busiek and Ron Randall. That prompted Steve Chung to swiftly post a sample page of Kurt Busiek and Ron Randall's Wolverine from What If, number 62, from volume 2. We haven't read that series, so it was a treat to see some of the art. Thanks, Steve. Karen also recommended another podcast focused on a single comic creator called Third Degree Burn over on the Two True Freaks Network. We'll include a link to that in our show notes because their shows are always great. Back to the Justice League Spectacular. Brian Mulvey posted, What an amazing cover, referring to the version that included Aquaman. Rex Kidd pointed out Power Girl's quote-unquote 1994 Olympic ski jump costume on the same cover, which made us both laugh. Eduardo Escobar posted that Ron Randall and Dan Jurgens draw the best version of the Guy Gardner Green Lantern. Eduardo is from Colombia, and he shared that Al Williamson of Flash Gordon fame, as well as many other great titles, lived in Colombia for a while. He mentioned that many local artists were influenced by him, including Colombian native Carlos Garzon. Eduardo said Carlos is the best-known mainstream comic artist from Colombia. Carlos assisted Al on the comic adaptations of Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, as well as Blade Runner and some other books. Of course, Ron Randall is a fan of Flash Gordon and the work of Al Williamson, and he chimed in on the conversation and mentioned that he was thrilled to work with Al Williamson on the Star Trek Unlimited series that he did in the mid-1990s. Clinton Robinson saw a post of Ron Randall's art from Serendipity Art Sales Gallery, where they were promoting the grand opening of their gallery. They had posted photos of several items, including original sketches of Firestorm, Super Angry Birds, The Outsiders, and Amethyst, as well as a Trekker print featuring Mercy, Molly, and Scuff. After seeing the photos, Clinton said, And here I thought it couldn't get better than his Wonder Woman and Zatanna pictures, but that Firestorm is to die for. We agree, and made a point to share it with Shag, a Firestorm fan. Clinton, who has been a big supporter of the podcast, and has certainly enjoyed our summaries, has decided it's time to buy the Omnibus, so that he can read along. So he messaged us when he ordered it. That's fantastic news, and thank you for sharing it, Clinton. Timothy G. Kramer, the provocative praise blog, brought to our attention a webcomic called Space Mullet by Daniel Marine Johnson. Timothy has great taste, being a fan of Trekker, the UK series The Avengers, and many other great things, so we knew we needed to take a look at it. 
The main character is a space trucker with an alien co-pilot, and the two try to do good along the way across the galaxy. The first few chapters of Space Mullet will be published by Dark Horse Presents, just like another sci-fi comic we love. So everyone, be sure to take a look at it. Regarding a panel of Trekker from the new Chapeltown story, John Baker said, It's interesting and kind of magical how a single panel can offer compelling storytelling. Talent indeed. John is a regular promoter of Trekker every Monday when the new page goes up, with many clever Mercy Monday tweets when, like us, he always gets his Mercy St. Clair fix. In Sorting Comics, Darren came across The World Below, written by Paul Chadwick and drawn by Paul Chadwick and Ron Randall, and shared a photo on Twitter. Ron Randall himself noticed this and said, This was such a fun, inventive series from Paul. Should have gotten much greater recognition. Enjoy the reread. Ashford of Feathers and Foes, a Birds of Prey podcast, and the Doctor Who podcast Straight Out of Gallifrey, let us know about musician Julianne Casablancas, who loves playing what he calls retro-future imagery. We've been listening to the music as part of our Trekker soundtrack playlist. Ashford has also been catching up on our episodes since he purchased the Trekker Omnibus and started listening to the podcast from the beginning. Ashford wrote that Trekker is a good book, and he's happy to spread the word and help promote it. Thanks, Ashford. Chris Mounts, who recently received a Trekker Toast Award, has been promoting Trekker over on the excellent Two True Freaks podcast Facebook page. The Irredeemable Shag noticed one of the posts, and he did a post himself, saying if you dig Trekker, you should check out the Trekker Talk podcast. To which Chris replied, I am a faithful listener and have been toasted. I can't remember if it was you or Gene Hendricks that turned me on to them. A big thanks to Chris, Shag, and Gene for helping spread the word about Trekker. It's really exciting to see so many fans out there helping promote Trekker and Ron Randall. We want to extend our Trekker thanks to everyone who supported us on social media since last episode. These are people who liked or shared posts from us on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. Your support really helps draw attention to the podcast, and best of all, helps spread the word about the Trekker series. And please consider leaving an iTunes review. It could really help make the show easier to find in searches. Before we start, let me say if we miss a name, please let us know and we'll correct it in the next episode. And also forgive us if we've mispronounced your name. Just email us and let us know. We'd be happy to correct that next time as well. Alexander Didymus, Andrew in Belfast, Ange of the Supergirl Comic Box Commentary Blog, Ashford of Feathers and Foes, a Birds of Prey podcast, BC Fan 101, Bob Taylor, Brendan Collins, Brian Mulvey, Bronze Age Babies, Captain Marvel 75, Carolyn Wallace, Chris Mounts, Christopher Nelson, Clinton Robinson of the Coffee and Comics Blog, Comics in Color, Colin Stapleton, Dan O'Connor, Dave Cote, David Joel, David Marshall, David Pascarella, DC Doctor, Dean Schaefer, Derek William Crabb, Diablo Frank of the Idlehead of Diablo Martian Manhunter blog, Dr. G, Man of Nerdology of Pulp to Pixel Podcasts, Drunken Dork Podcast, Ed, Terry, and Nick Moore of Till Productions, Eduardo Escobar, Eli, the Fire and Water Podcast Network, Gene Hendricks of The Hammer Strikes, Giancarlo Nuco, Holly Ilm, Jamie Garthwaite, Jason Adams, Jason Pretty, Jeff Messer of the Geek Brain Podcast, Colorist Extraordinaire Jeremy Colwell, the JLI Podcast, Joe Crawford of For the Non-Discerning Reader, John Baker, John Lee, Julio Rivera, Karim Ahmed Hamden, Karen Williams of Between the Pages, Kendall Johnson, Kia Blackman, Kyle Benning of King Size Comics Giant Size Fun, and the Superman Captain Marvel Power Hour. Larry Looper Jr., a.k.a. The Question, Vic Savage, Laurie Sutton, former DC editor, Luke Dobb of Dobb Creative, 
Mark Sweeney of I'm the Gun, Martin Gray from Too Dangerous, Michael Chen, Mike Hall, Nathan Redman, Pablo Ventura, Paul G., also known as Arthur Curry, the great team at Periscope Studio, Peter Janch, Professor Allen from Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, Rex Kidd, Rob Kelly of the Film and Water Podcast, Robert Lewis, Rolled Spine Podcast, Ron and Lynn Randall, Ruth Reese, Ryan Daly of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, Seminario Jose, Shag Matthews, Firestorm Fan, Shane Hensley, our friend at Pinnacle Entertainment Group, Skylar Noelchin, Son of Cthulhu from the Crap Box Son of Cthulhu blog, Steve Chung, Stephen Derek Wilbur, Tim Wallace of Cord Industries, Timothy G. Kramer from Provocative Praise blog, Tony Greenall, Van Z of All Star Comics Review Podcast, Warren Montgomery of Will Lil Comics, Wednesday Comics, and Zeb Oswalt. It's time for the Trekker Toast Award, when we recognize someone who has gone above and beyond in supporting Trekker Talk. This person is a remarkable supporter. He is obviously a big fan and supporter of Ron Randall, as he often shares posts about Trekker and photos of commissions. He has done an amazing job of promoting Trekker Talk as well. He consistently likes and shares our Facebook posts to help get the word out about our show. We are always happy to see notifications on our Trekker Talk Facebook page with his name. So we lift our glasses and give a thankful Trekker toast to Cullen Stapleton. Congratulations, Cullen. Thank you so much. We sincerely appreciate all of your kind words and support. And we'll be back after we play a couple of promos for other podcasts that you might enjoy. With his army of evil on the march, Bird Degaton appears to have time on his side. Hey there, my name is Al Gerding, and I have a favor to ask. If you're a fan of the Justice Society of America or other DC Comics Heroes of the Golden Age, please listen to my new podcast, The All-Star Comics Review. Grab your reprints, DC Archive editions, or the original comics if you're lucky enough to own them, and let's explore the adventures of the JSA and other Golden Age greats. Follow along with the All-Star Comics Review podcast, now found on iTunes, allstarcomicsreview.blogspot.com, and Facebook. It was 1938. The country continues its slow recovery from the Great Depression, while war clouds loom throughout Asia and German aggression builds in Europe. Americans seek comfort and distraction. It was a time when the most popular form of entertainment was radio. But a new form had been growing steadily and was set to explode. It was to become the golden age of the American comic book. My name is Chris. And my name is Mike. Please join us as we explore comics in the golden age between 1938 and 1955. All genres will be discussed, from superheroes to crime, horror, science fiction, humor, and western. So join us for the Comics in the Golden Age podcast, available through iTunes and Stitcher, and visit us on Facebook or at comicsinthegoldenage.com. 
it's time for What's Up, when we talk about other things going on outside the world of Trekker. It's been a really exciting month, so we have several things to share. We made our very first guest appearance on another podcast when we joined Gene Hendricks of the Hammer Strikes and the Two True Freaks Podcast Network to discuss the 1979 sci-fi series Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, starring Gil Gerard and Aaron Gray. Gene was the perfect host, friendly, kind, helpful, and put us at ease so that we had a great conversation. We really had fun talking to Gene about that fun series, and all three of us shared stories about meeting Gil Gerard and Aaron Gray at different conventions over the years. We'll include a link in our show notes in case some of you might want to have a listen. That was followed closely by our second guest appearance on another podcast as we joined Aquamazing Rob Kelly of the Aquaman Shrine, the Film and Water Podcast, and the Fire and Water Podcast Network to discuss the classic crime comedy, Gross Point Blank, starring John Cusack, Minnie Driver, Dan Aykroyd, Joan Cusack, and Alan Arkin. It's a smart and witty comedy that is definitely rewatchable. If you haven't seen it, we certainly recommend it. A big thank you to Rob for making us feel welcome and making us sound great. We'll include a link to that episode as well and hope that you'll give it a listen. And we want to thank everyone who shared kind remarks with us about those guest spots. Regarding the Buck Rogers episode, Zeb Oswald posted, It was cool to hear you all met the two main actors of the show. It was a fun one to watch, though I don't remember it too vividly. Mostly I remember the opener and Mel Blanc as the voice of the robot and that Aaron Gray was pretty. I think everyone would agree with Zeb on that point. Zeb also shared great memories of having several of the action figures as a kid, which made me quite jealous. Van Z of the All-Star Comics Review podcast wrote, Loved this episode! with three exclamation marks. And Andrew Leyland said, When are you guys going to do a Battlestar Galactica episode? Which sounded like a fun idea to me. And in a multi-podcast crossover comment, Rob Kelly kindly shared, I really enjoyed this episode. I remember my dad taking me to see Buck Rogers in the theater. I watched it sporadically on TV, surely never noticing all of the tonal changes you guys delineated. Good to know Gil Gerard was such a stand-up guy. Chris Tyler wrote, Great episode. The Sutherlands need to show up more and in more places. Kudos. Thank you, Chris. Gil Gerard must have noticed the episode because just a couple of days after it was posted, he followed Gene Hendricks on Twitter. Gene warned all of us, Okay, freaks, time to be on your best behavior because Buck Rogers himself, Mr. Gil Gerard, is watching you. Regarding our gross point blank appearance, Clinton Robson said, I was going to listen anyway, but now I'm twice as excited. Dr. G said, loving this episode on Gross Point Blank with Darren and Ruth. Brian Mulvey posted that we were excellent guests and encouraged others to try out Trekker Talk. Andrew in Belfast said, great soundtrack to that film when Minnie Driver is DJing, especially the Pixies. It is a fantastic soundtrack. Martin Gray of the Too Dangerous for Girl blog said, I've never seen this film. I remember it coming out and being confused that DC had a comic that same year with a similar title. Is there a real Gross Point? Then he posted the cover of a comic titled Gross, G-R-O-S-S, Point, with an eyeball for the O, and everything looked dirty and slimy. Very funny, Martin. And many posted their favorite quotes from the film, including Corey Drew, Aaron Bias, David Ace Gutierrez, Andrew Luckett, Dan O'Connor, Derek Richardson, Tom Panarese, Derek Richardson, Terry Mahoney, and David Fiore. We really had a great time on both of those shows and sincerely thank both Gene and Rob for inviting us on their shows. In addition, in the last month, I got to see my all-time favorite film on the big screen, which is the 1987 classic, The Princess Bride. We're fortunate to live near the historic Carolina Theater. It features a performance theater for concerts as well as two cinemas where they show independent movies and retro film festivals. They've shown The Princess Bride in the past, 
and just like those past showings, advanced ticket sales were so strong that they had to move the show from the cinema that has about 250 seats into the main performance hall that holds over a 1,000 seats. So there was an amazing crowd there to enjoy the show. The audience cheered, laughed, and joined in on so many of the famous lines. Some of my favorite lines include, Inconceivable. I don't think that word means what you think it means. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. You've been mostly dead all day. Have Have fun fun storming storming the the castle. castle. And of course, as you wish. I have such fun every time I see this film. It has a pirate, fencing, a castle, a princess, a giant, lightning sand, rodents of unusual size, and true love. The casting, writing, and direction and locations are perfect. I can't imagine a better script or cast. There are just too many to name. Well, let me try. I'm a big fan of Peter Falk as Columbo, so it was a treat to see him in this film along with Fred Savage of The Wonder Years. The trio of Andre the Giant, Mandy Patinkin, and Wallace Shawn were terrific. I love their contrast in size and personality. Chris Sarandon and Christopher Guest were great enemies. And, of course, Billy Crystal and Carol Kane were hilarious as Miracle Max and Valerie. Liar! And you won't be surprised to know that I found Robin Wright and Carrie Elwes to be perfect in their roles. Ah, true love. And was that all, Ruth? I think so. I think you forgot to share that you met Carrie Elwes. And you got your photo taken to him while you were wearing a t-shirt that said, Inconceivable. Yes, that was so much fun. He was promoting a book titled, As You Wish, recently, and it was a pleasure to meet him. He was genuinely nice and appreciative of his fans and very complimentary of how fortunate he has been to work with so many wonderful people in his career. Well, I've gone on a bit about Princess Bride and forgot to add that it was a double feature event called Retro Amore, so the movie was paired with Lady Hawk, which is another fantasy romance with an excellent cast, Rutger Hauer, Michelle Pfeiffer, Matthew Broderick, and a favorite of ours, Leo McKern of the British courtroom series Rumpel of the Bailey, as well as a few appearances as the mysterious number two in the classic TV series The Prisoner. The Italian film locations were amazing with beautiful scenery and lots of castles. So are you finally done, Ruth? Well, it has been a great month for me. I can hardly believe that in addition to seeing The Princess Bride, I was back at the Carolina Theater just a few weeks later to see one of my all-time favorite musicians, Johnny Clegg. He is from South Africa, and although he had some hits here in the late 80s and early 90s, he isn't nearly as well-known in the U.S. as he is in the rest of the world. He tours frequently all around the world and has multiple gold and platinum albums, and his songs have been featured in movies including Rain Man, Georgia the Jungle, Fern Gully, and The Power of One. He mixes Western pop music with traditional African music, and the lyrics can be in either Zulu or English. He writes, sings, and plays multiple instruments, including the guitar, and a unique concertina, which is sort of a small accordion that has been specifically modified for playing traditional African music. His music career began in the late 70s, when he formed an interracial band, which was illegal in South Africa at the time, and he became an important figure in the fight against apartheid, and the South African president, Nelson Mandela, once joined him on stage to sing with him in 1999. His music is powerful, with great rhythms, and his lyrics are poignant and definitely make you think. We've had the opportunity to see him a few times over the years, and his shows are always spectacular, and I highly recommend seeing him in a concert if you ever get a chance. Okay, are you done? Yes, I'm done. Are you sure? Yes. All right, I just wanted to make completely sure that you were done. You certainly had an amazing month, and I'm really happy for you. Thank you. Before we go, we want to provide our contact information. Please let us know your thoughts through email, Facebook, or Twitter. 
Also, if you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. Every review helps the show be more likely to show up in search results to help get the show noticed and perhaps attract more listeners to grow Trekker fandom. And please consider subscribing to the show so you always know when there's a new episode. We'd love to hear from you. So if you want to contact us directly, send us an email at trekkertalk at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr using the name TrekkerTalk. And you can always visit trekkertalk.com for links to all of our social media pages. Please use hashtag trekkercomic and hashtag trekkertalk in your messages to help other fans find and follow the conversation. And for those of you interested in the music that Ron Randall listens to while working on Trekker, he uses the hashtag Trekker soundtrack. Remember, at trekkercomic.com, you'll find a new page every Monday, as well as links to all of the ways you can find Ron Randall, and he often responds to posts on his Facebook page and on his Patreon site. So post to his pages and let him and other fans know what you think of his new Trekker pages. Thanks for listening, and we hope you will come back next month for another new episode of Trekker Talk. comics or Ron Randall. The views expressed on the show are solely ours. Music is taken from the album Royalty Free Music, Movies, and Videos from the Royalty Free Music Club. We make no money from this podcast and no copyright infringement is intended. (laughs) 